0: This is Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday Mile High Sports. Welcome to Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left. Danny Bailey in the booth. An interesting sports week in Denver. We'll have a couple of guests today, by the way. We'll talk about the Avalanche with the uh, Miley Sports. Arif Dean. We'll talk about the Broncos with... Fox 31's Mick Miller later in the program. And uh, we'll start with the Broncos, Sandy, because obviously they play tomorrow. The Buffaloes will play on Friday. We'll get them uh, talked about a little bit later in the program. So an interesting football weekend. And, of course, uh, some of the other places, you know, squads in action over the weekend. We'll get to them as we get closer. But the Broncos... Trying to avoid, and I almost say trying, I, mean, I they are trying. They are trying. They will fail. Are we sure? They are. Well, <laughs> that's, that's a question, right? That is a bone of contention.
1: They, they are trying to avoid
0: going one and five. They will go one and five because they're not going into Kansas City the way they're playing and knocking off the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs, for their part, have looked middling compared to recent-year Chiefs. But keep in mind, they're still four and one. Uh, By the way, that 15-game
1: losing streak covers, and I think we've mentioned this a time or two, that covers Kubiak in a championship season. correct? Kubiak in his second and final year Mm -hmm. as Bronco head coach, the two years of Vance Joseph, the three years of Vic Fangio, Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, less than a year of Nathaniel Hackett, in which uh, I believe the Broncos played the Chiefs only once. Uh, Rosberg was the interim coach when they played him the second time. Uh, so if you want to count Rosberg? That's another name to add to the sure, list. It's part of the losing streak. And, uh, obviously, uh, Peyton will be uh, we'll going join, up against uh, Andy Reed as coach of the Broncos. Uh, for the first time, uh, Reed, of course, has been in Kansas city for many, many, many years and, uh, not many good things you can say. About the 2022 season. However, um, it is the only year during this losing streak, including 2015, when the Broncos won the first game in Kansas City, but the loss of the second game right. a But if you're talking about every year, 15 through 21, at least one of the two games is a blowout, if not both games, right? Right. Last year, though, I never thought they could win either game. uh, Technically speaking, the Broncos lost by six and lost by three. And that's the only year in which they have not been blown out by the Chiefs going back to 2014 when they beat them twice. And keep in mind that even is, in 2015, um, they were blown out 29 to 13, and the game was not as close as that score might indicate. But last year, uh, Hackett's Broncos lost in Denver 34-28. Now, uh, for the sake of fairness and perspective, Kansas City was leading 27 to nothing with uh, a minute 36 left <laughs> in, the, in the first half. Okay. Uh, they rallied. Uh, The game not as close as that final might indicate, but the final result produced a 34-28 score. 27-24 at Kansas City in a game that had no real meaning very, very late in the season. I believe it was week 17, if I'm not mistaken. It was not week 18. It was the week before. And uh, in that game, the Broncos actually led early in the fourth quarter, 17-13 in Kansas City. But that's the only year in which the Broncos have stayed close when it comes to the final score, have lost by uh, single digits. In 16, they were blown up by 23 in Kansas City. Uh, In 17, they were beaten by 10 in Kansas City. Uh, 18, they were beaten by 4 and 7. That was Vance Joseph's last year, Um, and they actually should have won one of those two games. That's one of the two games that they probably should have won out of the 15 they've lost. I said yesterday they were out of every game. I exaggerated. Uh, They were basically out of 13 of the 15, but two they should have won. One was in 16, and that is the game from which the Broncos have not yet recovered, believe it or Mm -hmm. not. It has sent them on a streak of uh, losing, I believe, at last count, 72 of their last 109 games. They were up eight points with 13 seconds left. They were ahead in overtime by a field goal and somehow found a way to lose the game. And everything since has been onward and upward for the Chiefs and down into the sewer for the Broncos. The other game was a game here on a Monday night in 2018 when the Broncos are leading 23-13 with six minutes, 28 seconds left in the game, um, the Chiefs rallied at 127-23 in the last six and a half minutes of the game. And otherwise, uh, yes, uh 19, they lost by 24 and 20. In 20, they lost by 27 and 6. They lost by 13 and in 21, and as we said, by 6-3 and three in uh, 22. So there have been a couple of years in
0: there where they were within
1: one score in both games. But Keep in mind, too, that's, that's
0: interesting. You talked about, you know, the last couple games that were close, right, comparatively in this uh, long streak. With Russell Wilson at, at quarterback. Russell Wilson has played against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs three times in his career, the two times with the Broncos. and Remember, in that first game, he threw for 247 yards and three touchdowns, though he did have uh, a pick, a pretty good game.
1: Yeah, and Mahomes, when the score was twenty-seven to nothing, threw
0: like three interceptions. Right,
1: one right after the other. Right, Wilson did take it six sacks the Broncos in, that back in that game as
0: well, and the Broncos lost them both, but they lost them close. The other time Russell Wilson played against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs was back in twenty eighteen, and they won that. Mahomes and Wilson had a, a pretty good duel. Wilson threw for two hundred seventy-one yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Mahomes for two hundred seventy-three. Three touchdowns, no picks, almost identical lines between the two men, and the Seahawks ended up winning that game by seven at home over the visiting Chiefs. But at least when you look at Wilson and his performance against the Mahomes-led Chiefs, he's been pretty good. In those three games, seven touchdowns, two interceptions, an average of just around 250 yards per game. It's not lights out, but at least his performance against that team – no matter which one he's been on has actually been reasonably good. And that includes last year in which Wilson by far had the worst year of his career. It's not even close. I mean, it was a disaster. It doesn't even, it looks like a, an exception to the rule.
1: Well, his first game statistically was fine, but you have to remember it was 27. Right. Right. A, lot a lot of won. it was, was the second makeup. game uh, was a typical Russell Wilson game. Unfortunately, In 2022, he had a passer rating of 81.2. He was sacked four times. Uh, He threw 38 passes for only 222 yards. Uh, He did run for 27 yards on four carries, and two of them were touchdown Mm -hmm. runs. So, again, that was the point in the season when he was beginning to run a little more, and he was actually much better running in that game than he was uh, throwing the ball although you have to always take into consideration uh, the receiving incompetence of the Broncos. Keep
0: in mind, the leading receiver, the man with the touchdown that day, was Albert Okawabenom, who had a grand total of 45 <laughs> yards. Who uh,
1: did not make the Cortland Sutton had Somehow know, 44 yards,
0: and beyond that was Chase Edmonds with Can 39. Can you imagine, as a tight end, how bad you have
1: had you had to have been to fail to make this team in training camp? Imagine how bad you had to have been. Because, remember, Dulcich is now hurt, of course. Right as he's been for most of the time the last couple of years. Uh, Dulcich had a terrible camp. Now, they weren't going to cut him. But if you were choosing between the two on the basis of training camp, another sign that training camp doesn't mean anything, especially last week or two of training camp. Right. Albert O was pretty good. Now, we know Albert O doesn't block, and that was on full display in training camp in the, in the exhibition games. But he's somewhat of a big target, right? Yeah. Receiving threat of sorts. And with Troutman and hurts especially Troutman getting major playing time. I mean, other than the guys along the offensive line, who unless they're hurt, play every snap, and Russell Wilson, who unless he gets hurt, is going to play every snap.
0: Is Troutman's well, got the most about playing that. time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Okawebanon, by the man. way, he, uh, and on a short week, there is no way the Broncos are making. No, no, any they're they're,
0: they're not. They're not. Uh, and Okawebanon, by the way, with the Eagles, uh, has uh, as far as I can tell, yet to be. He doesn't catch. He has yet to be active for a game uh, this season. Well, he's he's insurance, right? If, that, that's if a two sense, or three that, tight ends exactly, hurt, then. that's exactly what he's there for. So that's what he's there for. For this Broncos team, the idea of going to 1 and 5 and probably finding yourself in a spot where you're going to start making some trades we know and the funny thing is uh, despite the argument that the Broncos had that they are a uh, quote not looking to do business with their current roster well we we know for a fact that's not True, we know that they've been. Uh, we know that even prior to this, they were taking calls on Courtland Sutton, Jerry Judy. They're taking calls on Courtland Sutton, and Jerry Judy. If, yeah.
1: And I know, you know, the and you Broncos brought up whole the Pat Sertan story being
0: floated to right. the Bills earlier well, in the week. Well,
1: it's from the Bills side, and I'm not. Teams don't call if they don't think you have any interest at all, right? Right. In trading anybody,
0: correct? Why would you do that? Why would you waste but, your time?
1: If a team is one and four, of course they're going to get calls because, by definition, n- most, no one on a one and four, zero oh and five team should be untouchable. Correct. I, uh, you know, for the most one part, or two guys, Again. maybe. Okay, but teams don't call to get laughed off the line on the other end. Mm. No. no, they don't no, they waste don't. their time doing that. So if they are calling, it it probably means in many cases, if not all cases, that they've called before. Right. Maybe about the same guy or guys.
0: Right. Or at the very least, you know, to start the conversation to, to get the, the And in the off-season, you're zero it. and zero. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, in the Broncos case, you're one and four. Yeah, if the Broncos you're were dead t- in the that's water, the trick. people have gone from saying going into the Chicago game that Chicago and the Broncos were the worst two teams. Now they're saying Carolina and the Broncos are the worst two teams because the jets beat the Broncos and Chicago after blowing a game to the Broncos routed Washington at FedEx field 40 to 20. Right. Last Thursday night. So, The Broncos have been in the conversation for weeks now as one of the
0: two worst teams in the league, if not the worst. You're right. When you talk about, if you were looking prior to the draft to trade, Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy, or at least amenable to the notion if a deal came along that you'd like. Well, nothing that's happened between then and being one and five in about 48 hours is going to dissuade you from cha- – uh, uh, you're not going to change your opinion. You're clearly going to talk about those players and probably a bunch of other players uh, out of Philadelphia. The, the rumblings with the with the Eagles, that perhaps the Eagles could pursue Justin Simmons, uh, a player right. that they believe they could fit. When you're starting, you're, the vultures are circling because they understand there are a few bits of meat to pick off that carcass, and that's what they want. Yeah. But that's what this really looks like. The the Broncos are dead. They are the animal in the savannah that's just bones laying in the middle of the desert, and everyone's waiting to pick some pieces off of it. Exactly. And that's what you'll see, especially on Friday morning, after the Broncos lose to the Chiefs, and then especially it'll pick up again on Monday and Tuesday after the entire NFL week ends. The Broncos will be entirely open for business, and they'll probably have to admit it because there are enough teams sniffing around right now that are mentioning it. Carolina says they want a receiver. Yes, we hear about the Bills being interested in Sertan. Eagles interested in Justin Simmons. You don't Mm -hmm. talk these; these things don't get out. No, unless they feel it's a
1: possibility. And and Sean, I know you understand this, and I think most of our listeners do. But I'm I'm going to remind those that may not understand: if you're taking phone calls, you are open for business. And here's the other trick: you're open for business now. Now you can you can dance around it in a semantic sense and say, well, no, we aren't the ones calling. So we aren't open for business. If you're taking calls, you're open for business. And if be, you're accepting totally calls fair. from other teams and they did during the off season, there's no re- Why would they talk about trades in the off season? Why would they answer phone calls? During the offseason, but now that they're one and four, oh no, we're not going to trade anybody. Please. Now, what they may not be willing to do is give Philadelphia Justin Simmons for a second round draft pick.
0: Right. Because they may lose pick, that picks, that's going to be down the list right. a little bit.
1: They yeah. may ask for more than that. Uh, or they may ask for multiple picks if they can't get a first for. Simmons, you know who I'd like for that for
0: trade. Multiples. I'd like picks. that trade for Justin Simmons, who's been with well, this team I, since I would too, 2016 and, and, and absorbed nothing but losing. Uh, what has a, never beaten the Chiefs.
1: Has never played in a playoff game. That would be that would hey. be wonderful news
0: for him. I, well, I, 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 I would we, we, love we
1: talked to about the, the luckiest man in football, Randy Gregory was Randy Gregory over the weekend because he got traded from a team that at least for week five looked like the worst team in the literal league. Literal outhouse okay. to penthouse. The worst to the best. Boom, and boom. he goes to a team in San Francisco for whom he will not be active. Again, he's he's the Albert Okuwebin of 49ers. He's insurance. But as a pass rushing specialist, if they have any injuries at all, you stick him in for what 15, 20 plays a game and just say, go rush the pass. You don't ask him to do anything else. Go rush the pass. And we, we've got other pass rushers on the team that people will have to pay attention to. You will never be double teamed. In fact, you'll, you'll have a tight end, most likely trying to block you 15, 20 snaps a game at most. And I can't see him unless there are injuries and the 49ers always seem to have do they ever, um, that, that he would not be in there, but he he's, he's nice insurance. They basically didn't give up anything for him. Uh, There's one contention before we break that came across in my uh, reading this morning that I want to bounce off you. Um, this And every time the Broncos are in this position, which is pretty much an annual position. Remember, the last two years, they've traded Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. Right. Now, the biggest myth is that Bradley Chubb has been some kind of special force for the Dolphins. Mm, I know no. they like him. Fangio loves him. Mike McDaniel praises him. But Bradley Chubb has been terrible in Miami. His pressure rate is way down over what it was in Denver. He doesn't play the run well. It it it's it's just a lot. Of ESPN looked,
0: visited that trade, revisited some of those trades, and actually gave the Broncos an improved grade. I for that saw trade. that. Well, that's
1: that that's that's fair. That's actually because Bradley accurate. Chubb gets paid a but whole bunch of a lot money of too. Places you've seen him before Bradley Chubb and after Bradley Chubb. Look at how the Bronco defense is disintegrated. Like Chubb
0: would have stopped that. Like that was the difference.
1: Like that was when he, when he Chubb was on the field the alone. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's
0: worse than that for sure. But
1: here's the other contention. I had to laugh. Um, first of all, other teams are always calling the Broncos, right? Uh,
0: we've discussed sure, right. that. Broncos never call anybody. Broncos uh-huh. never call anybody.
1: Um, that Simmons, Judy, and Sutton are the three prime figures who might well be on the trade block, But here's a beauty. And only in Denver would you have somebody with a straight face make this contention. Oh, uh, Claypool and Jefferson, two wide receivers Just recently traded, traded uh, they didn't bring back much. But Sutton and Judy are much better players than Claypool and Jefferson. And, gee, you know, with Sutton and Judy, we're only going on five games. That's much of a – well, no, we're not going on five games. We're going on years. Mm-hmm. Large sample sizes. And the biggest whopper of all was Sean Payton saying this week, until you asked me, I didn't even know the trade deadline was three weeks away. Really? Then you're incompetent. Yeah, that seems like... Then you're incompetent.
0: Of you're duty. in charge
1: of the organization. You make every final call on a trade, and you honestly don't know when the trade deadline is. My daughter, who doesn't follow the NFL, <laughs> she probably knows... Easy to find. It's on that Halloween. ...that the trade deadline every year is on Halloween yeah, yeah, or it, very close this year to it's it. It's right
0: on it. I mean...
1: Every year. Not hard. But this guy wants to if he's telling it. the truth, yeah. wow, it's really passed him by. And secondly, if he's lying, that's exactly the reason that it, it's pretty clear that this team is tuning him out because he lies all the time. Okay, I mean, can you imagine somebody saying that until you ask me the question? I didn't even know the trade deadline was three weeks away. This was yesterday when it was three weeks on the nose. And somebody said in the question, you know, the trade deadline is three weeks away. What do you think about? And his response
0: was, until you mentioned it, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Talk about your whoppers. Yeah. You know, it's easy to just have that float out and go unchallenged. Well, it's your program, too. I want to know what you think. 303-831-1340. Call or text. But uh, we'll turn our attention to the ice because um, good local teams play tonight, specifically the Colorado Avalanche, to have their debut in L.A. against the Kings. My Life Sports lead Avalanche writer Arif Dean will join us to break it all down next.
2: Sandy Cough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
0: The Colorado Avalanche get their season underway tonight in Los Angeles. They will take on the Kings, the reformed Avs, in a very interesting offseason, knowing that Gabe landis would not be there, change the way they approach their salaries. Joining us to break it down is the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast and our lead writer for the Avs at MileHighSports.com, Arif Dean. You can follow him on social at Run Right, Arif. That's A-A-R-I-F. Arif, thanks for joining us. It is the season. We're ready to get this going. What are your feelings first and foremost on what the Avs did in the offseason to shore up the roster deficiencies that cost them their playoff performances against the Kraken at the end of last season?
2: yeah i'm I'm really pumped for the season to get going. I think the team is too and uh to answer your question i think to 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 simply put it the next eighty two games are going to be an opportunity for them to build chemistry get things right and and be ready for the playoffs. What I saw this off season is an avalanche team that added guys that can win in the playoffs guys that have that type of game uh obviously tatar's got a little bit of an issue we've talked about that, but Guys like Ross Colton, who have done it before, scored a cup-winning goal. Ryan Johansson, who had that epic run in 2017. If it wasn't for his injury, the Predators arguably could have won the Stanley Cup that year. Uh, So guys like that that are going to be ready to go in the playoffs. it's just a matter of making sure they mesh. They mesh with the six forwards that are in the lineup that are, you know, the the returning abs and being ready to go for April. So I see a team that's going to spend 82 games making sure that they are playoff ready.
1: I was – Digging around today, at the number of teams last year that had 100 points and lost in the first round of the playoffs, and there were five of the 12. Now, some of those teams lost to other teams that also had 100 points. And I was reminded, and I'm sure you knew this, but I had forgotten the Avalanche for one of those teams, Seattle had a hundred points last year. This idea that the Avalanche got beaten by a team that was 20, 25 points behind him in the standings during the season and was a, should have been a pushover is nonsense. The Avalanche had nine more points than Seattle did during the course of the season. That's, that's basically four and a half games. <laughs> that's that's yeah. not a big difference. I mean, the it's Arizona Cardinal, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Diamondbacks, are killing the Dodgers in the first two games of a best-of-five series in Los Angeles, where you're not supposed to be able to score runs, and Arizona's killed the Dodgers in both games. And nobody's blinking. Did we overreact some to the fact that the Avalanche, yes, lost in the first round, yes, lost to a team they should have beaten, but didn't lose to a, a team that was mediocre or barely squeezed into the playoffs? Seattle had 100 points.
2: Yeah. So I'm gonna take it from both approaches. Was it an overreaction? I don't think it was an overreaction from the fact that you're defending your cup championship and players players really care about things like that. Like, you know, Nathan McKinnon we know Nathan McKinnon wants to win every game, every day, every year, everything. But like there is a feeling of we won the Stanley Cup and came out the next year and lost in the first round that doesn't sit well with somebody like that. So they do and it care about that. I'm not saying yeah. It and should. And yeah. Yeah, and absolutely it shouldn't. So is it an overreaction from that standpoint? I don't think so, because the expectation is for the defending cup champs to win their division.
1: I'm talking more not- about people like us. <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 100%. For, like, for, for a fan, for a listener, a reader, a, a journalist, when, when, when you're covering a team that won the Stanley Cup and comes out the next year wins the division, you expect them to at least get to the second round. That's one thing. But on the other hand, like, Look, you you just said it. They were nine points better than Seattle. It's a team that we're talking about that was decimated with injuries, didn't have the depth. And I see a team, and and, and I see a team that was led by Nathan McKinnon, who in terms of point per game, he was a plus forty, a hundred and eleven points in in seventy one games. Miko Rantanen was a plus twenty three. Kel McCarr was a plus six as a defenseman that missed twenty two games. Uh, Val Nichushkin only played fifty three games, and he was at right. forty seven points right there. Uh, Arturi Leikkanen, I believe, played sixty-four games. He had fifty-one points. Yeah, so he had he a terrific year, sixty-five points. So traffic. yeah, so like a lot of these guys had terrific years, and the common denominator in the guys that I just listed are they're still going to be here, but the pieces around them have changed. So JT Comper put up fifty two points. Can you get that from Ryan Johansson? I sure as heck do believe so. Devon Taves had fifty. Can he do it again? Absolutely. He's done it before. He'll probably do it again. Evan Rodriguez had thirty nine. Are you going to get that from one of your forwards? You might get that from Tatar let alone someone like uh, Ross Colton. So it's just a matter Alex Newhook had thirty points. That's the direct guy that Ross Cole is replacing and was actually part of the trade as well. So like when you look at what they have at the top, is it an overreaction to say that this team should have made it to the second round? Probably not. But at the same time, given all the circumstances, given the Landis thing, that just like, aside from the numbers, that just was hovered over their head all season. He'll be back in December. He'll be back in 12 weeks. He'll be back after the trade deadline. He'll be back for the playoffs. He's not back and that 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 just that was a mental screw up the entire season for the players. Uh so so when you look at it from that standpoint it's hard not to look at this team and say they did pretty dang good last year with the hand they were dealt and it's it should, you know, ideally get better from here.
0: The Opening few games, the Avs' first three games are on the road. Uh, that, met in some ways, I think is actually good for the Avs. You get an opportunity yeah. to kind of bond together, to get on the road, to get and get a little bit settled before your home opener. The concern for me, first and foremost, I do like the additions. I do like the lines. It is the goaltending situation with uh, Eustace Ananen, with the, the new addition from Arizona, the Avs understand that that backup spot is unsettled. How do they make sure, if they're focusing on the playoffs again, that gurgiev is not overworked? Do they have the talent to keep that from happening?
2: So they're going to find that out real quick, and if they find out that they don't, they will be on the market for a goalie. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. What, what I saw you know, with Eustace Ananen in the preseason was a player that deserves at least a shot to start as the backup, and let's see what you have there. But at the same time, he's a 23 year old that the Avalanche drafted, 64th overall, uh, five years ago. That, you know, every team has one of those guys, their top goalie prospect that was drafted somewhere in those middle rounds that you've kind of been bringing along for four or five years. The guy that they picked up from the Arizona Coyotes, Ivan Prosvitov, that's their version of it. Rostovatov was taken, I think, 50 picks after Annan in 2018. He's 24 years old. Right. He's had the same kind of taste in the of, of NHL action. You know, quite a few more games than Ananin, but the same kind of taste of action, goalie of the future. We're kind of going to go step by step and develop him. So these guys are kind of voodoo at this point. Yeah, the, the more lottery tickets you have, the better chance you have at hitting with one of them. So, you know, the Avalanche are going to give Annan a chance because he's earned it, and he will back up tonight in L.A., Krosvitov will be the third goalie that's going to be sitting uh, sitting out the night. Um, so they're going to give Annan a chance. If he does well, great. You have your backup and your goalie of the future. If he doesn't, Krosvitov will get the opportunity. If he doesn't step up to the plate, and Frankie's still not anywhere close to coming back, which I have my doubts on that in general, then you're going to go out on the goalie market. You're going to trade for a guy. All I know is your uh, Georgiev played 62 games last year, and he many. did pretty Pretty dang well in it. Oh, he and did, was, but he, you could
1: tell he was tired in the playoffs. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, not and, that he
1: was bad, but you could tell he, he wasn't—he wasn't as good as he had been during the regular season. They—they they only lost seven of their last forty-two regular season games, and he was a main reason for that. Not he was—he yeah, was spectacular. Main reason, yeah, it was he was nine great. nineteen.
2: It's great, nine nineteen percentage. That's great. pretty dang good for sixty-two yeah. games. Yeah, first time ever playing that many games. Right. But despite yeah. all of that, Jared Bednar, Chris McFarland, everybody argue whether he wants to admit it to us or not, everybody knows he should not play that many games.
1: I, I, I want to ask you, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> at the lineup tonight, the way it's yeah. been laid out, and, um, boy, uh, if they can keep these guys at all healthy, and they can't be as snake-bit as they were last year by injury, it, it, up and down the line, it, it looks like a pretty solid lineup. And I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the off season, and I don't know if we were talking to you or not, but it's remarkable to me. How many guys between 27 and 29 generally consider prime years. They've got, um, McKinnon, 28, Gruen 28, uh, Lacken 28, uh, Nishushkin, 28, wood, 28, Colton, 27, uh, O'Connor, 27, Olsen, 27, uh, Taves, 29, uh, you know, it, it and and the obviously McCarr is 24, soon to turn 25, very soon. Uh, but uh, all these guys in their prime on each of the four lines, you've got at least one guy. Uh, I, I'm looking here. I I guess you have two, if not all three. You have at least two guys in every one of the four lines who's between 27 and
2: 29. You know what? The funny, it definitely wasn't with me, but this is something I've been tracking for years because. I was listening to you list those names, and I kind of gave a, a little chuckle after the first five because you said McKinnon, Druin, Lekinin, Nichushkin, and Miles Wood. You want to know what the similarities of every single one of those guys is? They were all taken in the same draft in
1: 2013.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> G- JT Comfer was also in that draft. Yeah. Andre Burakowski was also right. in that draft. I've talked right. to I've talked to Bednar about this. I've asked Chris McFarland about it. Is there something about that 2013 draft that you guys like? They always answer it with a very, you know, standard, not really it's just the players we like, but they always chuckle and laugh about it because it's exactly what you just
1: said. That was a hell of a draft.
2: Yeah, yeah it was, first of all, it was a hell of a draft. Second of all, you're looking for a team that is ready to win now and adding guys, like you said, that are in the prime of their prime. And that's what they keep doing. That's what they just added with Miles Wood, Jonathan Drew. And, like, people are looking at Jonathan Drew and being like, oh, I wonder how many years you can give him if he has a good season and turns it around if the Avalanche can afford to resign him. It's like, well, the guy that was taken two spots ahead of him has got seven more years after this. Val Natushkin's got six more years after this. Those are both top ten picks, along with Drew and also a top ten pick in the same draft. So these are all guys from that draft, which said to me, like you said, that this is a team ready to win now. So they didn't go out and trade for – they didn't go out and trade for what they did when they acquired a 19-year-old Sam Gerard and waited for him to develop and kind of brought him along. They went out and got guys that are ready to do this thing right freaking now that were all born around 1995 and 1996. Like you said, Logan O'Connor, Frederick Olufsen, Miko Rantanen, those are all 96 birthdays to go along with the 95s. Ross Colton's another 96, so... These are guys in the prime of their prime. And then in goal, Georgiev also in 1996.
0: Exactly right, 27. Hey, we're talking with Dean, and last one before you hear you, we talk a little bit about Jonathan Duran. And obviously, that, that to my mind, he is sort of the wild card. And, yep. uh, again, like you talked about with the goaltending, I think finding out about this early helps because if it turns out, look, the reclamation project isn't going to fly, you have an opportunity then to try to adjust midseason with a trade. But how important is it that it works? I mean, he's going to be starting on the top line alongside Nathan McKinnon on that left side. Uh, There's not a lot of time for this pairing to ramp up. He's got to jump into that top line and produce from the
2: get-go. Yeah. So the the way that I look at it, this is a player that in his four seasons with Montreal always averaged at least a half a point per game. So he wasn't by any means a total bust. I mean, he is when you look at the fact of what the expectation was. But... We talked about, I was last on this show when the Avalanche signed Tomas Tatar, and I think of him as that security blanket. He was a top six player in New Jersey. Uh, he's uh, going to be a, you know, a possible top six player if someone like Drew Andy said go down to the third line. The other guy you and I talked about last was Ross Colton. If you need mm-hmm. to bring him up, you can. Sure. Sure. So ultimately the way I see it is, is it important for it to click? It would help. But is it the absolutely end-all be-all? No. If if he ends up giving you 30, 35 points, making $800,000 against a salary cap, you take that any day of the week. The fact of the matter is, the way that I see it, I well, not the fact, but in my opinion, the way that I see it, I think it's going to work. From what I saw in the preseason, from what I'm seeing from Druen in terms of just where he's at mentally, his mindset, being able to just kind of relax and play hockey and be with his buddy, it's hard not to believe the hype of these two guys working together. It's hard not to. When I talked to Drew Ann privately yesterday before they uh, boarded their flight to L.A., he told me that before free agency even began, before he even had conversations with Alan Walsh, his agent, him and Nathan McKinnon were already talking on the phone about a reunion.
1: Oh, sure. They were
2: already thinking sure. about it. They already wanted it to happen. Nathan went out of his way. We've all heard it. To talk to Joe Sackett, to talk to Chris McFarlane, even Jared Bednar to say, bring this guy in, there's something there. It's the same thing. Mikko Rantanen was doing with Arturi Lekanen, his finish buddy. Bring this guy here. There's something right. there. So I'm willing to put this out on the air,s and, and, and I'll say it. Jonathan Drouin last year had two goals in 58 games. I'm willing to put it out that by the time the Avalanche are back here on Thursday next week for their home opener, he'll already have three goals this
0: year. That would be a phenomenal start. We'll find out as the season starts in just a couple of hours. 8 p.m. puck drop out in L.A., the Avs. Get it going in a much anticipated season. You'll want to follow Arif for all the latest over at Mile High Sports. Run right, Arif. A A R I F is the handle, and check out the Hockey Mountain High podcast while you're there. Looking forward to spending some time this season talking with you about it. Really appreciate all the insights. Enjoy the opener. Thanks, Arif.
2: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, Arif Dean joining us, and uh, I, I don't know if they'll get to three goals, but I, I am at the moment with Arif. I am bullish. On the pairing, because I do think, and we talk about this on this program a lot, your mental state about where you are and your comfort level and when things have gone sideways. And uh, we'll talk about it You know, We can talk about the Broncos as well. Will Lutz, when coming to the team, brought up a great deal about how that was a challenge for him with an injury, how things got sideways for him. When players, I think, can understand that, embrace that, and then find themselves in a good spot, there is an opportunity for rapid growth. And I do believe that Drew Ann's in that right spot.
1: And before we break, just a quick point. I don't think people in the United States who follow hockey understand exactly what it's like for a young French-Canadian prospect to play in Montreal. And, And the pressure that is placed on even some of the all-time greats, Um, you know, not comparing the two, but it took Guy Lafleur two or three years in Montreal to ramp up. And then, of course, he was the greatest player in the sport. You know, pre-Gretzky, right? pre-Lemieux, Guy Lafleur was far and away the best player in the league. I mean, he scored goals on demand. Well, uh, but it took him two or three years. The pressure is enormous. And I will say this.
0: Jared Bednar, now the third most senior coach in the NHL, one of the few that's won a Stanley Cup, is not putting Drew on on the top line as a favor to Nathan McKinnon. If he doesn't believe it's the right fit, he's not putting him there. And Eric did a good job explaining they have other options. Uh, they know Lekanen can do it. They've known Nachushkin to do it. They've, they've been there. They've done it. So I'm willing to buy into the talent. I'm willing to buy into the partnership with McKinnon, and I'm willing to buy into Bednar's faith that this is going to work. We'll find out soon enough tonight. The Denver Nuggets got going in the preseason last night, toppling the Phoenix Suns. Expect to probably see them again. What does that mean for the Nuggets? And unfortunately for the Nuggets family, Brendan Malone, great assistant coach and Michael Malone's father, passed away earlier this week. We'll talk about both next on My Life Sports. They this is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports.
2: in this context there's so
0: when I bust the Denver Nuggets made their preseason debut last night in Phoenix against the Suns unlike the Suns they actually played the majority of their starters save Michael Porter Jr. For uh, a little bit of time, roughly 18, 18 minutes for Murray, 18 minutes for Jokic, 18 minutes for KCP, uh, 13 for Aaron Gordon. Some of those interesting, we'll kind of keep an eye on that because Gordon also kind of staggered his minutes as the center with the second unit. Something that I think may make some sense. But it was Julian Strouder, the first round pick, one of the uh, multiples for the Denver Nuggets that kind of made a splash, 21 points or 21 minutes with 20 20 points off the bench, eight for 12 shooting, including four for seven for three, five boards, three assists, uh, plus eight in those 21 minutes. I get that it's second team versus second team, but that's the way you want to step into the league.
1: Uh, Sure. And I I think, you know, all three of those guys uh, won't be playing in the... When we're Miners talking about Strouther and, uh, and
0: Pickett gosh. and Tyson, yeah. Um,
1: one of them, at least one of them. Tyson, the by team. the way,
0: had the most minutes on the team with 30.
1: Yeah. Um, I think Tyson, of the three, probably has the best chance to get a few rotational minutes. Um, now, it wouldn't be anything more than ninth or tenth man. But, but I agree. The skill but, set
0: is less duplicated yeah. than some of the yeah. other guys. Yeah. Yeah, pick, yeah, it, pick it, you have, of you have Reggie Jackson in front of him. Reggie Jackson's going to be the backup point to Murray. And Strouder at a certain point, yeah. despite all the abilities, kind of uh, another player along the lines of Christian Brown and Peyton yeah. Watson and and yeah. probably not and quite as ready as either. from all
1: indications, Watson has put on uh, some weight in all the right places, uh, a little more rugged. Uh, Brown has worked to polish his ball handling and his shooting. Uh, Brown is already an outstanding defensive player, Christian Brown. Uh, so, uh, you know that's that's energy and effort, uh, but it's it's also talent. He's, he he looks less than imposing, but you look at him, he's 6'6", six six two twenty. You know, there they, are guys in this league who are six,
0: seven, six, eight, yeah. two, thirty, and call themselves power forwards. Despite his despite his height, I mean that that's that's very distracting. You look at Kevin Durant, who's a you know string bean. Go, right. he's not very imposing. Yeah, until he you know dissects oh, your team. He's a night. seven footer
1: can shoot through.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Juncture. That doesn't mean yeah. that much. You know, Brown is the sixth man, and and Watson has an opportunity to basically move in as the seventh, but. I agree with you. It's it's good to see the, the young play by, by Strouder, and we'll see much as the preseason goes along. They have four more games. They have a game uh, again on Thursday. You might be watching the Denver Broncos get beaten as opposed to watch the uh, Nuggets play Chicago, but they'll then have Chicago back on Sunday and then two against the Clippers. I know and we're That's
1: are talk about Brendan Malone, and I want to give full yes. uh, time to that, but uh, just a quickie note. We'll talk more about this uh, in, in the days and, and weeks ahead. Uh, NBA.com every year surveys the 30 general managers, and among many other things, they concluded that this year's MVP will once again be Nikola Jokic. That he is by far the best passer in the league. He is the most intelligent player with the highest basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. Is the way they uh, phrase the question. Runaway winner, uh, best player in the game, best player in the world. Every general manager in the league knows that. Everyone.
0: A nice, place. Everyone. a nice place to Virtually be.
1: everyone says he's the best player in the league, will be the MVP. Uh, by the way, the Nuggets and the Celtics, the 30 GMs, both got 10 votes as champions for the coming year. So they're co-favorites. Milwaukee got seven votes. The Suns got two. And the Clippers, not the Lakers, got the remaining vote. One GM voted for the Clippers, but not the Lakers. Although, as they were asked to forecast the standings in the West, uh, they went Denver, Phoenix, Lakers third, followed by Golden State, the Clippers, and Memphis. In the east, the order was Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Philadelphia, New York, and Miami. And the all-NBA team for these 30 GMs, Jokic with Tatum and Giannis, Curry and Booker, and Spolstra as the leading coach in the NBA at the present time.
0: As we uh, we mentioned, obviously, the, the sad news yesterday for the Denver Nuggets and also really for the whole NBA community, uh, Brendan Malone, Michael Malone's father, but also the architect of those great bad boys, Pistons, defense. Yes. Uh, yes. Passes away yesterday at the age of, of 88. The Nuggets shared uh, the following. It is a, a tremendous sadness that we share the passing of longtime NBA coach Brendan Malone, who holds a special place amongst this organization and will be a Denver Nugget forever. Coach Malone was a great man who left behind. A great legacy in the world of basketball would be remembered even more for the amazing husband, father, son, and grandfather that he was. And the profound impact that he had on the friends, family, and colleagues who were lucky enough to know him. Our thoughts are with the entire Malone family and all of Brendan's loved ones who are feeling this loss today. He coached Michael Malone, of course, did not coach last night. Obviously. Uh, Power
1: Memorial Academy. Head coach, 1967. That's how he broke into coaching. Pretty good place to break in, right? Uh assistant coach at Fordham, Yale, and Syracuse, head coach at Rhode Island, 27 years in the NBA, best known for being the lead assistant on the Bad Boys Detroit Pistons teams, coached by Chuck Daly, um, coached in New York, Indiana, Cleveland, Orlando, spent a lot of time around the Van Gundy brothers, both Jeff and Stan as their assistant, and I think established himself uh, as being without peers, the greatest assistant coach in the history—the the of the man NBA. who
0: essentially created the Jordan rules—he did. I he mean, didn't. that's what that's what he you're didn't. talking about. And uh, you know, he was Chuck Daly's defensive coordinator. Now, I
1: always thought those Pistons teams uh, were a little underrated offensively. They were yeah. better than people thought. I agree. Me. You have Thomas agree. and Dumars. You had Vinnie uh, Johnson, and, coming, off Vinny Johnson uh, yeah. coming off the bench. Vinnie Johnson, the microwave, coming off the bench. They had plenty of Lambeer scoring. could
0: hit from three. But, I mean, yeah, there was. they, a, they
1: there played was a, lot a game. slower game. Uh, remember, the Pistons, um, before Brendan Malone got there and taught him how to play defense, the Pistons were the team that came into Denver one night and beat the Nuggets...
0: In the high scoring in game in history,
1: overtimes, the high scoring game in NBA history,
0: still to this date.
1: And the Nuggets were not great defensively, obviously during those times, but the Pistons weren't much better, if they were better at all.
0: 186, 184 in triple overtime, the Pistons beat those those Nuggets on December 13th, and that was. And uh, I was it is there. Still, it is still really. It. Boy, they, you I must have there. stayed up late in that In fact,
1: night. in fact, if uh, you go to YouTube. Uh, I'm sitting about three seats what? down on press row from the Nugget bench.
0: Oh, now i got to this. And I've got a
1: red winter jacket.
0: On. All right. I'm going to have to find that. I do outfit.
1: stand out.
0: Okay. Okay. I've
1: got, I've got the mustache, which isn't oh, right. apparent, but I do have the red winter jacket. And you can see that there are about four times when I think the game is about to end that I'm getting up with a recorder back when recorders, Right, were pretty cumbersome to carry around. Right, two or three times I start to get up, and I sit back down. I even mean, I have my coat on. Well, because I'm sure the game's going to end. Regulation doesn't end. First overtime, it doesn't end. Second overtime, it doesn't end. It it was uh, it was a classic, and there was a snowstorm around that time. And there weren't a hell of a lot of people at the game, although that's one of those games where you'll hear 20,000 people right. claim they
0: were there. Right. I was I was not at that game. Um, I might have been wearing granimals or something at the time. But uh, and now I'm going to go and take a look at the uh, – uh, see, I find that on YouTube. The Denver Broncos find themselves in a spot in which they will uh, – well, it's not about whether they win or lose – it's whether they'll be embarrassed. That's really what the Broncos are at. And what does that mean for the team for the rest of the season? We'll have a chance to break it down with, with Fox, 31 or Channel 32, Fox 31 and Channel 2's Mick Miller, who joins us next on Miley Sports.